Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books, from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Hi, this is The Author Show, and I'm your host, Linda Thompson. Before I introduce our guests, just a quick reminder that selected interviews are available on our iPhone app, which can be downloaded in the App Store, as well as on TV, on the Roku channel and Amazon Fire TV. Our app name on all platforms is The Author Show. Guest author Amy Herrig has written No More Dodging Bullets, a memoir about faith, love, lessons, and growth. Having overcome a heroin addiction, 20 years later, Amy finds herself with another addiction. Amy joins us to share what that second addiction is and so much more. Amy, welcome to The Author's Show. Hi, Linda. Thank you for having me. Amy, No More Dodging Bullets is your memoir, and I'm curious as to why you would want to share your very personal and traumatic story in a book with the world. Well, I think it's important for all of us, if we can, if we have a platform to do so, to share stories of growth and change and perseverance and how we can take negative experiences in our lives and turn them into positive. I think we all have something negative in our lives. My mistakes and and wrongdoings and negativity may be bigger than someone else's, but we all have something that we maybe wish we could have gone back and had a do-over and And how we can learn from that instead and and move forward in a positive way. I think that's a really important story. And then I think there's also the legal aspect of my story that gives a lot of insight into our federal justice system, our prison system, and how that really works. And I think it's really important for people to get a very honest, candid insight into that as well. I couldn't agree more. So as I said in my introduction, Amy, 20 years after your addiction to heroin, you found yourself addicted to something else. What was that something else? Greed and money, basically, um, which I think is probably something that more people struggle with as an addiction in society than we really often talk about or realize. It's kind of everywhere. We're Forbes magazine, keeping up with the Kardashians, all of these things that are always driven by having more and more and, and who's the most successful and who's worth this amount of money. It, it's a problem in our world. And maybe it's not an addiction for everyone, but for me, it, it certainly became one. Amy, you write that you were addicted to heroin in your teenage years. How long were you on heroin and what was your recovery like? My heroin addiction was about a year and a half. I was really, really fortunate to have some things happen um, that were very traumatic. Well, being addicted to heroin is pretty traumatic in itself, but some other things happened that were even more so traumatic that facilitated me being removed from the situation I was in, which was an abusive, very destructive relationship. And I was really also fortunate to have a family that was very supportive and was able to see me through that transition and getting to a healthier place in life. I was young when it happened from about 18, 19 to about 20. And I just, at that time, I knew I was really fortunate to make it through that. Um, But I didn't really deal with all of kind of the trauma that goes along with something like that. I, I moved on with my life in what seemed like a very positive fashion. But 
the reason I write really about the heroin addiction and that very personal private part of my life that a lot of people didn't know about me, actually, that part of my life was because I realized many years later how it impacted me making decisions I made much later in life with putting too much emphasis on money and status, thinking that that would somehow make me um, worthy and more valued in society and make up for all um, the shameful things I'd done. I mean, a heroin addiction is a, a pretty shameful thing. So that it was the book isn't so much about that part of my life. It's more about how that part of my life impacted my life so many years later, if, if that kind of makes sense. You and your father were owners of the gas pipe stores in Dallas. What were the gas pipe stores and what did you sell? So the gas pipe stores are a chain of retail stores that are smoke shops. That's what a lot of people would call them. In the 70s, they were often called the head shops. We sell all sorts of products and we just celebrated our 50-year anniversary. My dad opened his first store in 1970. We had 14 at our peak. We now have nine. And it's kind of an adult lifestyle store, smoking accessories, incense, t-shirts. We sell a lot of darts like plain throwing darts, dart supplies, you know, gag gifts, lighters, um, just all, all kinds of stuff. We're not just a smoke shop, but that was sort of the premise of how when my dad started the business years ago, but it's really evolved into, like I said, already kind of an adult lifestyle store over the years. Well, it sounds like a fairly innocent business to have. So why did the government come after you and your dad? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Ultimately, what our crime was, was mislabeling a product, which is actually a misdemeanor. It was a product that was being sold nationwide in all sorts of convenience stores, gas stations, online. I actually think you can still buy the products online. It was called potpourri or herbal incense, and it was something, though, that people would buy and smoke it. And so that's what they came after us for. They charged us with no warning, no cease and desist letter, no heads up, no, hey, can you please stop selling this? And they charged us with 17 counts of various charges, everything from distribution of a controlled substance to money laundering and seized absolutely everything we owned raided every single one of our properties, including my house with my children in it, and didn't really do this to any of our competition in the area. And actually, we found out after the fact that they actually, they, I'm referring to the government, the DEA, actually sent letters to large chain gas stations like Boleros and things like that, asking them to stop selling these products. But we never received any sort of letter like that. Good heavens. Well, you write that a government lawsuit threatened to take your business's money and freedom, and it sounds like it pretty much did. Was that lawsuit settled? And if so, how? The lawsuit was ultimately settled. What happened after the lawsuit was we tried to kind of go back and forth with the government to see if we could work out something. We were advised by our legal counsel that that we had mislabeled a product. I never knew that that was any sort of legal offense. And like I said earlier, it's it's actually a misdemeanor. But the government didn't want to budge. And what started out as a just, I say just a lawsuit, it was a pretty big lawsuit. And I mean, they had 
like I said, taken everything down to the pennies out of our cash register, turned into a 17 count federal indictment a year later. And then it took about three and a half years after that for us to finally get to trial. There was a lot of going back and forth in that time, a lot of hoping that we could somehow come to a logical resolution with it because we knew we did not do everything that they were accusing us of doing. I had some other personal challenges that came up along the way during that time. So it was kind of just one crisis after another with everything being seized as having no access to any of our bank accounts, basically having to rebuild our lives from scratch. We had these businesses we could operate. We were grateful for that. It was a blessing that they allowed us to continue to operate, but it was basically like starting over from ground zero with trying to figure out how to pay very expensive attorney bills. And it it just, it's really, you know, unbelievable. And then we had to fight to not be detained in prison because once you're indicted, they can keep you detained until you go to trial. And they'll often move to do that because it can make their case stronger. And so it it was just, it was a lot. (laughs) And I don't think people realize that that's how things, I didn't realize that's how things work. I didn't really know anything about our federal justice system. Um, Most of the things we were charged with, I'd never even heard of. (laughs) My gosh, Um, I'm just sitting here with my mouth hanging open. Uh, I tend to think that justice is not necessarily a good thing in all aspects. Uh, It can be very subjective and it tends to be served with money. If you've got a whole lot of money, you can probably buy your way out of just darn near anything. So uh, you seem to have recovered, but it doesn't sound like it was a lot of fun. So I want to know who would you consider to be the ideal reader for No More Dodging Bullets? Well, I think my story is multifaceted. It, It has a little bit of something for everyone. Anyone who's interested in our federal justice system, or really our justice system, not even at the federal level, just in general, and how that works, I think would find this very fascinating. I talk a little bit about when I was held in custody while they were working towards trying to detain us. And I I think you're right, what you just said a minute ago, if if you have money, it's definitely a lot easier to navigate your way through the justice system. And even though we'd had everything seized, We had the means to continue making money. And so we were able to defend ourselves. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But I'm very, it infuriates me as well, because I know that not everyone can do that. And justice should not be just for the chosen few. Everyone should have the right to properly defend themselves when, um, if they get in this unfortunate situation. I think it's also good for people to understand that this can happen to anybody Somebody wrote an article, a contributing editor wrote an article about us in the local Dallas newspaper. After we'd had the trial, the government reopened the civil lawsuit because the lawsuit was closed prior to the trial because it would have been redundant. If we had been found guilty of everything, everything would have been forfeited. So the lawsuit wasn't necessary. And so after we had the trial and the verdict came through, the government turned right around and reopened the lawsuit to still try and take all of our assets. And this gentleman who wrote this article called it double jeopardy. And he said, you know, I don't necessarily like the gas pipe stores. It's not somewhere I would personally shop. And maybe you don't like what they did. But if it can happen to them, it can happen to you. 
once again, I'm sitting here just astounded. Uh, and you're right. If it could happen to you, it could happen to me or anybody else. So is no more dodging bullets similar to anything else that we might have read? You know, I think that it's a really unique story. I think there are a lot of books out there about people who have gone through the legal system, like Orange is the New Black is the one that I think always comes to mind when people think of our prison system and and the and that goes into the legal system as well. It's not just about her being in prison. So I think, you know, anyone who enjoys that type of book, and I, I am a woman, obviously, and there are some female issues and themes throughout my book. So I think anybody that enjoys any story of a little bit of drama, a little bit of education of how things work in our country and a, and a story of inspiration and hope and what can happen when you decide to take a negative and make it into a positive. Are you planning on writing another book? I would really like to. I, I really enjoyed writing my story um, in this book. And yeah, I, I'm definitely thinking daily of how my story is continuing to evolve and where it's going. And I think there will definitely be more to share with the public as that continues. Amy, will you please read a short excerpt from No More Dodging Bullets for our listeners? Sure. The guard told me to turn around and put my hands on the wall. She then put a metal cuff around each ankle. And because I had on sandals with no socks, the metal dug into my skin, making immediate red marks. I hadn't prepared properly for that part of the indictment, or really any part of it, and I wished I'd worn socks. She told me to turn back around. Then she put a metal cuff around each wrist. We were told to get in a single file line and follow the guards. We all shuffled to an elevator, which we took down to a parking garage. There was a big white bus with bars over all the windows waiting for us. The men and women were separated on the bus. I spent some of the ride talking to my new friend, Virginia, the woman who had just been sentenced to nine years. She had spent the past few months in Kaufman County while waiting to get sentenced to prison. She would now be going back to Kaufman County until they determined the prison where she would serve her sentence. She told me everyone at Kaufman County was nice, but the food was horrible. It wasn't like federal prison where prisoners had access to amenities such as makeup and physical activities. It was just a holding facility, not the place where federal inmates ultimately ended up. She was looking forward to being moved now that she had been officially sentenced. But I wasn't overly concerned because I didn't think I would be staying there more than one night anyway. Our arraignment was the next day, and even if the government moved to detain us, we would fight the detention immediately and be on our way because there was no logical reason we would be detained. I believed, wrongly, the government would see it that way. I would learn over the next few years that the word logic had little to no meaning in our situation. Oh, my Lord. Uh... I'm just sitting here with my mouth hanging open for this whole thing because the government obviously did you a great disservice. So now I want to know, Amy, where can we learn more about you and where can we purchase No More Dodging Bullets? Yeah, you can go to my website, which is it's pretty easy, amyherrig.com, but I'll spell it A-M-Y-H-E-R-R-I-G.com. And there's a link to purchase the book there. And I also have a blog where I write about different current issues, things with the justice system, you know, things of that nature. We've been talking with Amy Herrick, author of No More Dodging Bullets. Amy, I just can't imagine what going through everything you have and yet coming out on top. I want to thank you for sharing your story with us today. And when you write your next book, please come back and chat with us again. Thank you. I will. Thank you so much for having me.
An inspiring real-life story of survival, well-written and relatable, a wonderful book with honesty and perseverance. I couldn't put it down. That was a compilation of three reviews I found for Amy's book, and I have to admit that I cannot wait to begin to read the rest of Amy's book. If you would like to know more about Amy's experiences, please go to amyherrig.com and order your copy today. And when you finish, don't forget to post a review. And then please share this interview with your friends so that they too may become acquainted with our author. Remember that The Author Show may be accessed at any time at theauthorshow.com. Plus, selected interviews can also be found on major platforms such as Amazon Fire TV, the Roku Channel, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and many more. Whether you're an author who would like to be featured or a reader in search of new books, theauthorshow.com is a really great place to start. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorshow.com. theauthorshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.